Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest Disney news? And interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars? Well, have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Jeffrey from D23. And I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And together, we are taking you Inside Disney. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, just great. How about yourself? I am doing well, doing very well. It's been a very jam-packed, busy time, but all good. Tell me all about it. What, what have you been up to this week? Well, last week I went with our pal Carly to go see The Lion King in Hollywood at the Pantages, which was... Ooh. Fantastic as always. Actually, my fifth time seeing it. Extraordinary, some might say. The main event, some might say. And I'm not lying. (laughs) There were some very special guests who appeared in the show. I'm not going to say anything else about it, but I will say more as it gets closer to being a bigger reveal. It was definitely a good surprise. So that was great. That show was always fantastic. Our pal Thomas Schumacher, who was on the show talking about it reaching such a a massive milestone last year. Mm -hmm. And I binged the first four episodes of Not Dead Yet, which is on ABC and next day on Hulu. And oh my gosh, it is had me in tears. It is so funny and smart. (laughs) And Gina Rodriguez is just fantastic i love hannah simone rick glassman like the cast is just incredible so if you are watching it let me know hit me up because i'm in love with this show and i cannot wait to see where it goes Ooh, very cool i'm intrigued uh-huh. well speaking of intriguing i have a very vague thing that i did this week i can't reveal much yet i saw Ooh, a intrigue me. feature film and it's not released yet and mm. I don't know, it might be from one of my favorite studios in the universe. Oh, wow. I can't reveal more. That's amazing. <laughs> I cried. Okay, okay, that's the only other thing I'll say. <laughs> I mean, I cry at cotton commercials, so I'm not like the best <laughs> barometer for tears, but I love this. I can't wait to hear more as, as yes, you were allowed yes, to yes. tell us. I love the tease, but you know who's not teasing is... Who? Our guest today, Stephen Broussard, who is Vice President of Production and Development at Marvel Studios, also executive producer on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. He is here. We are spilling the tea. We are dishing on the multiverse. We are talking Loki. We are (laughs) going deep into the quantum realm. So stick around because we had a lot of burning questions, some big (laughs) and some very tiny like Ant-Man. So we will get to those uh, after the news. Yes, 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 yes. Well, this first piece of news made me go, oh my God, because Josh Gad, (laughs) (laughs) he got to fulfill his lifelong dream of being a Jungle Cruise skipper for a day at Disneyland Resort. There is video of it all. It is hilarious. Josh Gad, or as he says in the video, he forces his parents and loved ones to call him Disney legend Josh Gad, yes. which I appreciate. I would do the same. So yep. Disney legend Josh Gad, he took on the role of Skipper, took guests on a wild, hilarious, pun-filled, joke-filled, wacky ride through the jungle. Again, you can watch the whole video. It is hilarious on Disney Parks YouTube. Uh, it is genius. And also it friend is. of the pod. <laughs> also friend of the pod. We love it. In other Disney Parks news... 
our editor Paul nearly <laughs> plots himself, as my mother might say, <laughs> upon hearing the news that Rogers the Musical is coming to Disneyland Resort this summer. It is going to be at the Hyperion stage inside Disney California Adventure Park. I loved that big number that they did from the show in Hawkeye. I loved what we saw at Expo. I cannot wait to see <laughs> yes. what Disney Parks brings to us this summer. So that's exciting. You can read a little bit about it at marvel.com. Also going back to uh, our pal Josh Gad, who was in Frozen, which has music written by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Bobby Lopez. The two of them are writing the music for this new series called Up There. The trailer just was released on Hulu. It is a show about people and their inner voices, which I think we all have. <laughs> it is musical. It is magical. And uh, the lead is Mae Whitman, who I met her years ago. She could not have been lovelier. She actually was the voice of Tinkerbell in the Fairies film franchise. Hmm. She is the lead. And I love a musical. I love a Mae Whitman. I love an Anderson <laughs> Lopez. March 24th, coming to Hulu. And I cannot wait for that. Oh, wow. Well, we've got a lot of news packed into this week's episode, oh, packed, um, P-A-C-T, because Disney, Disney has released the trailer and poster for a film we're calling Prompact. Yes. yes, this is a Disney original movie. Heartfelt romantic comedy fans, this one is for you. It's set during the emotion, excitement, the mayhem of high school prom season. We've all been there. Starring friend of the pod, Peyton Elizabeth Lee, We've got Milo Mannheim and newcomer Blake Draper. This is set to debut March 30th at 8 p.m. on Disney Channel and then Friday, March 31st on Disney+. Plus. Yes, can't wait. Check out the trailer on Disney Plus YouTube. I thought the trailer was hilarious. Also, we talked about Peyton and Milo last week because we got to see the trailer for Doogie Kamealoha. So there's a whole lot yes. of Peyton Milo news going on. Plus, <laughs> in the trailer, do not miss Margaret Cho, who is freaking mm. hilarious. So yes, yes, yeah, yes. big fan. Well, it has been snowing in LA, which is wild, which means Sherry's Holiday Corner is back. <laughs> kind of. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> jingle, jingle these bells. <laughs> Emmy Award winner Eric Stone Street is joining the cast of The Santa Clauses for season two. So he will be playing Magnus Antus, aka Mad Santa, who reigned during the 14th century. So just as our pal Scott Calvin turns his focus once again toward training his son to eventually take over the family business of Santa Claus, the Mad Santa returns in an effort to take down Scott and reclaim the North Pole. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 indeed. I love Eric Stone Street from Modern Family. He is hilarious. Yeah. Something great. else coming to Disney Plus, albeit a little bit sooner. The trailer for Bono and the Edge, a sort of homecoming with David Letterman, just came out. It's like got this very serious vibe to it. And then you get David Letterman and it all just like goes out <laughs> the window. It's funny. It's touching. And it's a lot of you, too. So get ready to rock on Disney Plus. On March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, coinciding Ooh. with U2's highly anticipated album, Songs of Surrender. Mm. Fun fact. Fun fact, indeed. Well, Jeffrey, you know what I always say? There aren't enough churros in the world for you? <laughs> yes. Yes, and? Christmas can't come soon enough? Oh, double yes, and? I'm out. <laughs> Possibly my third most sad phrase is, 
All you need is faith, trust, and Disney+. Plus. That was totally going to be my third choice. I thought so. It was off the tip of your tongue. Disney Plus has released a trailer and a poster for Peter Pan and Wendy. This live action and reimagining is going to stream exclusively on Disney Plus on April 28th. Yay! The trailer is great. The poster is cool. Check out all the things on the WaltDisneyCompany.com. I cannot wait for that movie, and I cannot wait for the big night when we celebrate all the movies. Oscar night on ABC coming March 12th. And they made a couple of big announcements. Rihanna is going to be there to perform the Oscar nominated song, lift me up from black Panther Wakanda forever. I mean, after that performance during the big game, Mm. cannot wait. And friend of the pod singer, actress, Sophia Carson is going to be performing as well, accompanied by songwriter, Diane Warren. So Cannot wait to see her take the Oscar stage. And right after the Oscars, there's going to be a special episode of American Idol. So you can go from Idols of the Stage and Screen to Idols of the American Variety. <laughs> the Oscars are not the only game in town. Disney has been racking up award wins this season. Congratulations to Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which won 10 NAACP awards. Wow. Amazing. Outstanding motion picture. Angela Bassett. The list went on and on. Also over at the SAG Awards, both Abbott Elementary and the Bear took home awards. So congratulations to all of our friends at the the studios, at DGE, everywhere. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Everybody look left. Everybody look right. Everywhere you look, the Lion King choreographer Garth Fagan is standing in the spotlight. <laughs> Woohoo! Really on something else with these transitions this week i'm very impressed i just say say. uh, thank you thank you very much the tony and olivier award-winning choreographer was just celebrated at the smithsonian's national museum of african-american history and culture at the oprah winfrey theater there was a tribute performance featuring his reimagined choreography new choreography and additional lion king staging dancers from the lion king and dancers from Garth Fagan Dance. Sounds like a true spectacle. You can check out photos and a video from the event at d23.com. Oh, and this is super cool. The president, Joe Biden, penned a letter congratulating him, which was read at the program's conclusion. I know, no big deal, right? That's awesome. (laughs) Lion King, definitely a beloved animated film. And over at Disneyland, the new villas at Disneyland Hotel are going to be opening at Disneyland Resort this September. And... They are using inspiration and animation from some of Walt Disney Animation Studios' most beloved films. There are going to be rooms that are inspired by Jungle Book, Sleeping Beauty, Princess and the Frog, Fantasia, Bambi, Moana, Frozen. I saw some of the concepts. You can see them at the Disney Parks blog. Our friends there posted them. They look beautiful. Cannot wait to see these in person when they open. And oh, and bookings are opening to the public if you're a DVC member like moi on March 17th. Woohoo! Well, pack your bags because Walt Disney and El Grupo, a trip through Latin America exhibition, has debuted in Mexico City. This exhibition is the first one dedicated to Walt Disney's 1941 research trip through several Latin American countries, including Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, Bolivia, and more. 
Joined by a close group of artists, Walt aimed to learn in depth about the region, experience the beauty of its land, and celebrate its cultures through future Disney films at the time, such as Saludos Amigos and Los Tres Caballeros. Very cool. You can see over 60 restored photographs, archival footage, film clips, posters, more than 30 pieces of art inspired by the journey. If you are around Mexico City, check it out. It's available and free to the public until March 18th. So cool. And congratulations. This has actually been put together by our friends at the Walt Disney Archives, including friend of the pod, Becky Klein. Ah, Amazing. You get a really great look at some of the images on d23.com. And congrats to our friend Caesar from the Walt Disney Archives, who actually just went down there and spoke at the opening, which is pretty cool. But you know what else is cool? Five fantastic things to watch this weekend presented by State Farm. For complete details and listings, visit d23.com. And remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Sherry, what's up first? Up first, we've got a new episode of Super Kitties on Friday at 10.30 a.m. on Disney Channel and 11.30 a.m. on Disney Junior. Starring friend of the pod, James Monroe Iglehart. Yes, exactly. Will the Super Kitties stop Mr. Puppy Paws from stealing (gasps) dog toys? (gasps) tune in and find out it's a nail biter (laughs) on saturday march 4th at 10 a.m on fx tune in to kingsman the golden circle i am a big fan of the the kingsman franchise and of course this one stars taron egerton colin firth channing tatum julia moore pedro pascal the mandalorian and many more as a note it is for mature audiences This is not a children's film, but you know, it is a children's film. Actually, it's an everyone film. Saturday, (laughs) March 4th at 2.35 p.m. on Disney Channel. It's Ralph Breaks the Internet. And essentially any film that has Sarah Silverman as a part of it is perfectly fine by me. It's better than (laughs) fine. It's magical. And the scene with all the princesses. Yes. Iconic. Iconic. Also iconic, The Princess Diaries 2, Royal Engagement. Check it out on Sunday at 2.35 on Freeform, the movie that brings back Anne Hathaway, Disney legend Julie Andrews, and introduces the world to mattress surfing, which I did try once. With I thought my you were going to say to Chris school. Pine, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you know where my priorities are at, mattress yeah. surfing. Amazing. Uh, And round out the weekend on Sunday, March 5th with a new episode of American Idol. (laughs) All right, on to our guest. And let's start by saying if you have not yet seen Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, please pause the podcast, go see the film and hit play when you're finished. Because we are visiting Spoiler Central today with a man who has been part of Marvel since 2004 and helped usher in what we know today as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's responsible for creative oversight of the studio's feature film and streaming slate and its interconnected storytelling. Recently, he served as executive producer on the Disney Plus series Loki, Marvel Studios' special presentation, Werewolf by Night, and of course, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Please welcome to the show, Stephen Broussard. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm a little weary after that. Your resume is pretty packed. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I've been with the company for a minute now. So you have been part of Marvel since Marvel Studios officially began. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the biggest differences from back in the 2000s and what has stayed the same? Oh, that's a great question. It was a very small operation when we started. You know, I think I was one of like 
literally like 10 people at an office. You know, this is the pre-Disney days too. So it was a much smaller operation. And we had big hopes and dreams to start our own studio. And back then we were very much the underdog. You know, there was some questions about whether or not Marvel would be successful in launching their own studio and telling stories with characters that weren't necessarily what was considered at the time marquee characters like Spider-Man or the X-Men. And so we had a lot to prove and we were eager and hungry to, to make movies. It was, it was a group of like-minded individuals that just love movies. And flash forward all these years later, and it's been awesome to see the audience respond to the MCU and respond to these movies. So definitely wouldn't consider ourselves the underdog anymore. People are paying attention, which is exciting and comes with its own different set of challenges when you're just trying to get noticed and make movies that capture people's imaginations. The one thing that hasn't changed, I would say, is just the... Uh, pure desire to just tell great stories and to really make movies that are as fun and as entertaining and bring these comics to life in ways that we respond to and that we want to see on screen and hope that that translates. And that kind of starts with Kevin Feige, my boss, you know, he's always sort of set the tone, the creative tone for the studio. Yep. And whether we were the the people in a small office trying to make things happen or, or where we are now, knowing that the world is watching what we're doing and we, we take that responsibility very seriously. That's been the creative through line all the way through. Amazing. Hmm. All right. As I noted, we're going full on spoilers and there's a lot to get into. So hmm. we know the Marvel Cinematic Universe is incredibly well mapped out. But was it always planned that we would revisit the quantum realm? Or was that something that was just one of several possible scenarios that people were batting around as you were coming up with the next phases? With big ideas like the quantum realm, you know, which essentially this entire movie is built around, there's always a germ of an idea that sort of comes along the way as you're making these films. And it grows. It grows very organically. There's a plan in Marvel Studios when we talk about the future and we talk about the next few years out and we talk about interconnectivity. But organically, we sort of build each film brick by brick and try to make them as, as entertaining and as satisfying as possible. And the quantum realm was an idea was first introduced in part one, the first Ant-Man film. And that was kind of a, we called it the Ghostbusters, don't cross the streams moment. You know, there was a, there, that, was the, <laughs> that was the warning you that I gave him, which is if you go too small, you may never come back. And so we got just a glimpse of Scott going to the quantum realm and then returning, which got Hank Pym's wheels turning about maybe Janet's still alive. Maybe she could come back. And that was the seed that was planted at the end of Ant-Man part one that led to Ant-Man and the Wasp part two, the search for Janet. You know, we sort of took that little idea and expanded it out. And very similarly, at the end of part two, when they finally rescued Janet Van Dyne from the quantum realm, we started to kick around ideas of like, well, what's she been doing down there? It's been such a long time. She has different clothes on. There's a DVD Easter egg moment. If you freeze the film when you're watching Ant-Man and the Wasp, you actually see a city down there, like some architecture to suggest that even back then in part two, there was more down there than meets the eye. And so that was the beginnings of the idea to answer your question about when did the quantum realm for part three come into focus? It was about this point in the process on part two when the movie's done, I'm getting the chance to talk to people like yourself about the movie we've made and we're proud of. And you start thinking about what can we do next? And, and the quantum realm as adventure, as kind of this Wizard of Oz-like adventure was when that came into focus then. How did the other Kangs learn quantum realm Kang was dead? That's a very interesting question. Um, I think by the text of the, of the film itself is that they have heightened technology, right? They're all from a far-flung future, and that's part of what makes 
Kang so terrifying. So I think they kind of keep tabs on one another, which goes back to what He Who Remains told us in the final episode of Loki season one. There's a rivalry between the Kangs. There's a frenemy sense amongst them that we're get, starting to get a sense of. And you see some of that in that little bit at the end of the film where the two Kangs are kind of carping at each other. And that's one of the interesting dynamics in the comics is that they do form a council with a common purpose, but squabble in and amongst themselves. So I think they have their ways would be my answer, you know, to know what the other person is doing. And we may find ourselves caught in that squabble as it goes forward, as it was in the comics. You know, that's one of the fun ideas to think about as we look ahead. Mm -hmm. And I believe I heard one of the Kangs was also referred to in Moon Knight. Uh, was it, is it Ramatut? I want to get that right. Yeah, I don't recall the specific reference in Moon Knight, but Ramatut is a character from the comics. He's the person you see at the end wearing Pharaoh-like a garb. And he's a really cool incarnation of Kang from the comics, whereby the Kang we know from the future used his time traveling power to go back to the past where he became a pharaoh because he had technology and, and weapons well ahead of the time he found himself in. So it was an unfair advantage that he took full <laughs> advantage of. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is a bit long setup. Okay. So please bear with me. Mm -hmm. When we look back at the end of the Infinity Saga... While Thanos was the big bad, we didn't really know where the first three phases were going. <laughs> At least some of the Marvel fans like, like me who may not have a strong familiarity with the comics. Now, when Kevin announced Kang Dynasty, I mean, it It feels like you got to have Kang in everything. So mm. obviously he probably won't be. But how do you balance setting up a Kang finale of sorts and not have him in every single project leading into it? It's a fair question. And, and, you know, with Thanos, he was teased in small increments as he went along. And the presence of the Infinity Stones was felt in different movies, right? So you could argue that there was a through line leading up to Infinity War and Endgame, even in the films that Thanos was not there. We're mindful not to repeat ourselves. And, and so I think right out the gate, the notion of Kang, the idea of Kang, the idea of, of one actor playing radically different versions of this same character we've gotten a taste of a few already and you can see how different they are feels like fresh territory for us so right there each incarnation that you're going to see of kang as played by the brilliant jonathan majors is going to feel very different right so i think it'll set the table in interesting ways as you sort of wade deeper into this character and what he means I don't think he's going to appear in every film, as you say. Obviously, he probably won't. I'll also point back to what Kevin said at Comic-Con, which was he branded the first cycle of movies was the Infinity Saga. We are in the multiverse saga. And that entails all sorts of things, right? Not just Kang. It entails parallel universes and variants. You've seen this in Loki. You've seen this in Multiverse of Madness. You've seen it in Spider-Man No Way Home. So the multiverse, I would say, is a rich tapestry. And that's kind of what we're in the middle of exploring right now. And there's so many more stories to tell there. I cannot wait for all of them. Mm -hmm. Please, please, please share one Easter egg you're pretty sure we missed. One Easter egg. <laughs> I'm trying to think of one. There's one kind of fun Easter egg, which is a very deep dive for a certain brand of comedy fan that <laughs> that I'm not sure how many of your listeners would get this reference, but there's a, an actor, a writer, and a radio host named Tom Sharpling that is really good friends with Peyton Reed. And he shot a cameo for Ant-Man 1 and was cut out of it, <laughs> shot <laughs> a cameo for Ant-Man 2 and was left out of the final cut. 
And then we tried to get him in three and then it didn't end up working. And so he was essentially cut out of part three as well. Then late in the process, this individual made it into a blink and you miss it scene in the Axia restaurant there. And it's kind of funny because there's this whole meta narrative between Tom and Peyton about how mad Tom is about finally making the movie. But but we broke the curse. Right. So so this person that if you follow the behind the scenes of the Ant-Man movies, which I, admittedly, this is all a very deep cut. I know <laughs> I he's on it. the screen and you can see him. <laughs> wow. OK, yeah. I love that. And you're yeah. making an entire different fandom very happy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We love the tag with Loki and Mobius at the end of the film. When you film a scene like that, are you doing it when Loki's in production on that set or are you filming it specifically as part of Quantumania? That in particular was a part of the Loki production. So that was made and shot by the Loki season two team, which we have, you know, history with. If you go back and you look at the Thor tag in Iron Man 2, that was a scene from Thor, you know, as directed by Kenneth Branagh. And its inclusion sort of happens organically as the story kind of comes together. And we were having conversations about what we'd like to tease next and what we think is sort of ready to tease. So it was made and shot by the wonderful team behind Loki season two. And we showed it to Peyton, who got really excited by it and, you know, is, is really uh, geeks out on the inside with all this stuff. And he was thrilled to include it. I love that. So we spoke with Kevin about 18 months ago, just as the multiverse was starting to unfold. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned having a rules of the multiverse meeting with the team. Can you break down what a meeting like that looks like? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I would say meetings like that are about trying to be logically consistent within the universe, which I would say is separate from being scientifically consistent. You know, I don't think anyone should look to these films and necessarily think they're going to walk away with degrees in quantum physics or, <laughs> or, or other scientific pursuits. So that's okay. I would hope that they would walk away with an interest in pursuing those fields and, and maybe studying them for real. But we kind of look to be logically consistent across the films. Like, are we sticking to our own rules, whether these rules hold scientific water or not? Do they feel like they hold water for the universe at large? And the moments where we might break or, or kind of bend those rules, you know, the tie always goes to, is it emotionally satisfying? You know, like, I do think you could maybe pick on some of the logic here or there, you know, no, no particular examples come to mind. But we always are emotion first. And if it feels like it's going to resonate, if it feels like the story is going to connect, we know that the audience is going to go with us. And all movies have a, what I call sleight of hand, you know, like they're trying to get you to watch the magic trick. And so the job of the movie is to not pay attention to the rules or not pay attention to how you're getting there. And I think all movies are kind of judged as successful or not successful based on sleight of hand and how well they've hid the magic trick. Well, I think one of the secret sauces to Marvel's repeatability of going back on Disney plus watching these over and over again, or in the theater, watching it over and over again is that great combination of, I think there is the logic that remains consistent, but there is the heart and the emotion that tie it together mm -hmm. because otherwise maybe you could watch it once and be like, well, that was fun. But mm -hmm. I think that's what gives it such great repeatability. Thank you. Yeah. I think people connect with these characters, you know, and that, and they grow, they grow over many years and many movies and, People feel like they're growing with them. So I think, you know, it's no secret that characters are the heart of what we do. Yeah. We loved Werewolf by Night. Laura Donnelly can just be in every project as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Was that created just to be standalone work or could this be tying into phase five of the MCU? 
the answer is anything is possible in the MCU. And like the example I always like to cite is, you know, Paul Bettany was the voice of Jarvis in Iron Man 1, just a disembodied robotic voice and did an amazing job. All these years later, he's at the Emmys nominated for playing Vision in this sitcom deconstruction. You know, if you'd asked me back then, we would end up there today. I never would have would have told you that that was even in the realm of possibility. So the special itself is made as this one-off holiday special stylistic exercise with our friend Michael Giacchino. But those characters, I mean, come on, they're too cool to leave behind. If I have anything to do with it, you know, Marvel will continue digging into the horrors, digging into the darker side. There's so many great characters from the comics that kind of play in that world, you know? Elsa, as you mentioned, was fantastic as played by Laura. I love Gael. I've always been a big fan of his. People really responded to his relationship with Ted, aka yes. Man Thing. So great characters there and just a great world, a great milieu, you know? Like, I'm a big fan, if you look at the work that I've done individually here, of like, place as character you know whether it's the tva or the world of magic you know and certainly kind of the darker corners of the marvel universe feel just as rich and worth exploring yes i felt like i could have watched a sitcom with gail and ted and the two of them like i could have watched that for days <laughs> that's great yeah it's, it's sort of unexpected right the warmth i think is what people responded to is it's a dark kind of horror exploration but it's you know a buddy comedy too in the center of it all yes yes <laughs> i loved it Loki was genius. We cannot wait for season two. What can you tease? Loki season two, I don't want to say too much. It's very exciting. Uh, I think that team has done an amazing job. I think the, the most exciting thing to tease, you know, going back to our conversation about characters, is just kind of watching Tom and watching Loki's journey, like a continuing journey. Like the journey of season one was about breaking down who he thought he was. You know, episode one ends with... Mobius basically calling him on everything, you know, and at the end of episode one, he's kind of this broken man. He's been shown how his story ends. He's been shown that his glorious purpose was not what he thought. And Mobius essentially says, all right, are you ready to get to work? And that season begins in earnest with a new heroic arc for Loki as he kind of moves forward and him finding his place. You know, he was always a little bit of this outsider in Asgard and in the the royal palace there and i think season one was about kind of like discovering that he could be more and i think season two will continue that in unexpected ways you know so i'm excited for people to go on that journey with loki in the hands of tom who is one of the most amazing actors that i've ever had the good fortune of working with it's amazing to watch him work watch his range and i think uh audiences will be excited to see what else he can do with this character i have to ask Loki and Sylvie, a Loki variant, got very close at the end of the first season. Mm -hmm. It felt very real, and yet mm -hmm. it also felt like the ultimate form of narcissism, which I guess is on brand for Loki. Is he literally falling in love with himself? <laughs> that was kind of the idea. That was kind of the theme. I would even say the subtext. It was the text. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, Kate Heron, the director, used to say, it's a story about learning to love yourself. <laughs> <laughs> which was fascinating. I don't know. I can't think of an example of, of anything quite like that in movies or, or TV. So it was really fascinating area for us to explore. And again, going back to kind of what I was talking about, about his journey, you know, it's like who other than a version of himself would he trust to grow and learn through? So it felt, as you said, very on brand, a little unexpected, a little, a little weird, a little off center maybe for some people, but we loved it. Awesome storyline and awesome relationship and people really responded to it. I, I got to tell you, just being at Comic-Con this past summer, it was good to be back in person at Comic-Con. 
But if cosplay is any judge of any given series or movies connectivity with the audience, I saw so many TVA agents and Miss Minutes and, and Loki variants and alligator Lokis everywhere on the floor. I see a Miss Minutes behind you there. There mm -hmm. she is. It was good to see. It felt like the world was going to be waiting for part two. So yeah. Oh yeah. Excited when they came out at D23 Expo, I don't know if you were there for that event, but oh my goodness. First of all, the Loki fans went bananas, but the Loki variants who I saw throughout the entire weekend, alligator Loki maybe just be the most popular Loki ever. <laughs> yeah. Many people are big fans. Okay. Question I've meant to ask, which I forgot to write down, and this could be me trying to read too much into everything. It looked to me the energy sphere, I don't know what the technical name for it is in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, that Kang needs to repower. When it got mm. really, really big and you're seeing it swirl, it looked to me like some of the rings had writing on them. I may be completely wrong in that. And then I thought about the rings in Shang-Chi that had the writing on them that no one had noticed. And they were like, we've never seen that before. And I'm like, oh, is there a tie between these? Or am I just a crazy person who's trying to read too much into what's in front of me? <laughs> I wouldn't read too much in at this point. You know, like I'm afraid that's kind of a tricky question to answer because if I'm like, stay tuned, you know, you might read more into that, you know. But when we made Quantumania, it was just about that, right? And any connectivity down the road, I can't really speak to because I don't really know where that's heading. But it was a standalone idea for this more than whatever is in stage for another Shang-Chi, should that happen, or Kang Dynasty. You know, it was purely the milieu of this movie. Perfect. Who is your favorite Marvel character? Wow. There are many. I usually say that Steve Rogers is near and dear to my heart. I made the first Cap film, first Avenger, I've always responded to kind of the purity of that character, that he is a good man through and through. He remains a good man and that the world tests him. You know, I aspire to that, right? Like, I think there's a purity to that that feels very aspirational that I try to communicate to my own children, you know? So I, that's always resonated for me just as a steadfast character throughout the films. And he's been in a lot of movies. There was a moment where we realized... There were like a seven-year run where you saw Steve Rogers on screen every year. It didn't necessarily feel like it because he was in his own movies. He was in Avengers movies. He was in Tags. But it speaks to the longevity of that character and how much he can connect with an audience. Anyone who listens to the show knows I'm a massive Disney Cruise Line fan, and I just mm. went on Marvel Day at Sea. Oh, cool. Which I had always wanted to do, and it was epic. 37 characters on deck, and it's bonkers it's so well done did you see the ant-man thing wasn't there an interactive like dinner show or something okay that's on the disney wish okay i have done that we did a whole special episode of the show about the disney wish and we loved that ant-man the wasp that whole film scene and we just chatting with evangeline Lilly about making that yeah and amazing <laughs> they do marvel day at sea on the disney dream where it's a series of cruises where they dedicate one day specifically and it's Everything is marveled out. So they do this incredible deck show. It was unbelievable. They have mm. characters throughout the entire ship. The Disney characters dress in theme to their favorites. So Chip and Dale are Thor and Loki, which that's my, <laughs> you have no idea how much I love that photo. Yeah. One of the things they do in one of the, the club areas is they recreate that sort of war concert, like the sort of the Andrew Sisters type concert that Steve, you know, appears at oh, to raise yeah, money yeah. for war bonds. And yeah. is that, I hope I'm remembering all of this correctly from the movie. And they do it and it was 
I mean, and it reminded me of that movie and how incredible that movie and, and, and again, how earnest and just like positive and optimistic that Steve Rogers. Yeah. And that song, of course, you know, written by Alan Menken, just to connect the Disney dots, wow. which was really fun. I remember we, when our music supervisor put his name forward as an idea, we were like, geez, was that possible? You think we, you think you would want to work with us? And I remember like drafting up like a document about here are the themes of the movie and like what's happening and like, kind of like giving him a primer for, for what the song could be about. Not that, you know, I would presume to tell him what to write. And then seeing some of those come back in the song was a really thrilling moment, being such a fan of his, you know, mm -hmm. Disney legend. Exactly, Disney, mm -hmm. yes. And I didn't even remember that. And because you guys also had Disney legend Richard Sherman write the theme song for the Stark Expo. So yeah, yeah. I love that you guys bring in like the classic Disney. You'd think that Kevin maybe was a big Disney fan or something. You'd think, right? No, Disney's been in our DNA even before we were part of the family. So it's mm -hmm. been so awesome to be playing for this team, you know, is, is really cool. Mm. Well, sadly, we are at our last question. You mentioned the love of Disney and we end every interview with this question. What is your favorite Disney memory? My favorite Disney memory is not hard to pick at all because I know exactly what it is. It was going to Epcot when I was 13 and a bit of a nerd, you know, and just really vibing on the the vibe of Epcot, science for a better tomorrow vibe that was Epcot. And Spaceship Earth, I still love, you know, I still love the promise of a brighter hope for humanity that that ride showcases. And yeah, it was just kind of the right age to be there at that park. And I still love Epcot. And it's awesome that Marvel has a presence in Epcot now. That's amazing. I got to do a hard hat tour of that ride before it was open. And then I just got to ride it when we were there. I look forward to taking my kids more often when we get on the East Coast more and hopefully share my love of Epcot with them. That's amazing. And yes, big fan of Epcot myself. I mean, I guess we all love Disney since that's why we're doing an Inside Disney podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much for your time. I thought Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was fantastic. I cannot wait to see it again and to see what's next. And thank you so much. Awesome. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. I could talk to him all day. I agree. Although I'm pretty sure we would not be able to get anything else out of him. He was like, he's very good <laughs> at keeping those secrets. They are well, uh, well, well trained. Is that the right word? Well informed really? at Marvel. We're well informed Ooh. here. So thanks again for listening. That was a transition. Thanks again for listening <laughs> to Deep 23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, just hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for all the latest Disney info, check out d23.com. We'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic guest and some great transitions on an all-new episode of D23 Inside, Inside Disney. Disney.